everyone. Good afternoon all and welcome to the National Library of Australia. I'm Rebecca Bateman. I'm the Indigenous Curator here at the National Library of Australia. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we're so privileged to be on today and in my case every day of my life, the Ngunnawal and Nambra people, um, and to acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging and to thank them for caring for this beautiful land that we're privileged to call home. Um, as you know, this week is NADOC week and it's time to celebrate the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The Library plays an active and honoured role in preserving the history, culture and achievements of Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and in making those available online for all Australians. Our digital classroom has a number of online resources for teachers which align Indigenous items in the library's collection to the national curriculum from years 3 to 10. These resources bring the NLA collection to the classrooms across the country and illuminate the Indigenous collection items for Australian students to engage with in an age-appropriate way. Other Indigenous content online includes a series of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander collection conversations which cover topics from researching Indigenous family histories in Trove to an analysis of the, analysis of the 1967 referendum, and video readings of the children's book, I Got This Hat, in Waramungu, Torres Strait Creole, Wogaloo Wiradjuri, just three of the approximately 250 Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander languages, many of which are documented here in the library. The 2018 NAIDOC Week theme, Because of Her We Can, celebrates the essential role that women have played and continue to play as active and significant role models at the community, local, at state and national levels. This theme makes it both appropriate and pleasing for me to introduce you to one of our wonderful and much-loved female Indigenous staff members here at the library um, as a relatively new Member, staff member here at the library, one of the great pleasures for me and one of the drawing cards, in fact, to come to work here was the amazing cohort of Indigenous staff here, many of whom are deadly young and not so young women. Um, so I would love to introduce um, Yanti Robyan. Um, Yanti, and I hope you forgive me if I do horrible things with the pronunciations, is an Ankabatu. Yagikano and Wapabaro woman and a library assistant in the newspaper and family history section at the library. Yanti joined the library as part of our graduate program in 2016 and since then she's been working towards making Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander collections more accessible for communities in far north Cape, far north Cape York. Today she's going to talk about an amazing project, a joint project between the National Library of Australia and the Northern Peninsula Area State College in far north Cape York to digitise 22 issues of the Carby Bamaga State High School magazines, which you can see here, um, and the impact of having these magazines available for all Australians to enjoy via Trove. I've been privileged enough to um, hear this talk before and I know how fascinating it is. And we're um, super lucky that Yanti is willing to speak to us today. She's fresh back from the, the National Women's Day Doc Conference where she gave a very similar talk during the week. So welcome, Yanti. Now here we are back again. I remember two years ago I was giving the, um, the graduate talk here, so this is exciting. 
thank you Rebecca for that um, wonderful welcome uh, everyone thank you so much for being here today and for those who are tuning in on Facebook live welcome so I just want to make note that for any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders here and watching online that this presentation may include names and images of deceased persons. So before I begin, I want to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and the Niambu peoples, the traditional custodians of the Canberra region. I pay my respect to all ancestors and elders past and present and extend that acknowledgement to my fellow First Nations brothers and sisters here with me today and watching online. My name is Yanti Ropion and I work here at the National Library in cold country Canberra. <laughs> so many of, many of you know me, but I just want to share a little bit about my role. I am the Trove Project Indigenous Officer and I work with a small, pretty awesome team, Trove Outreach. Before my current role, I was in the newspaper and family history team and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I came to the National Library in 2016 as an Indigenous graduate and completed the program in 2016 in the same year and I had a ball. I don't have a background in library studies. I did in fact graduate with a Bachelor of Commerce, but that doesn't say the library needs business-minded people. <laughs> so just a little bit about who I am and where I'm from. I was born in a little country town, Mount Isa, but I grew up in a small Aboriginal community called Ingenue, which is a very small remote community 40 kilometres from the tip of Australia. So you can see the right at the top, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I am Angamuti and Yarekana on my father's side, and I'm Wapabara on my mother's side. I have blood ties to the Bachelor people of Ngari or Fraser Island on my mother's side, and blood ties to Badu and Mowa Islands in the Torres Strait on my father's side. I'm also part German and Danish. So you can say I'm a box of Cadbury delights. <laughs> I have a little bit of everything. I identify as both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander as I've had both influences in my life growing up. So growing up in Ingenue, I was fortunate to be surrounded by families strong in culture, particularly the women. And since this year's NAIDOC theme is about celebrating the achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, I want to dedicate this talk to all the strong women in my life, both past and present, who have played an instrumental role in raising me, teaching me, leading me and shaping me to be the person that I am today. It is because of them I can. It is because of them I am. And so Back to Bamiga High is a project that I started nearly a year ago after discovering that the National Library had collected eight issues of the Carby Bamiga State High School magazines. The early issues include editions from 1973, the first edition, and subsequent issues from 1974, 1975, 
1976, 1977, 2015, and one student produced manual north of the Jardin. So this guide was actually compiled by the Year 9 Study of Society students. And so today's talk is about the school magazines and the journey from discovering them to having them digitised. So I'll also share a little bit about the history of the school and I'll be sharing some images, discovering the magazines and how I actually came to find them, why I chose to digitise them and what has been the outcome of this project. So Bemiga State High School opened in 1973 with years 8, 9 and 10. Years 11 and 12 were introduced at a later date with the first lot of year 12s graduating in 1976. The school was dubbed Australia's northernmost mainland high school. So if you are speaking in literal terms, it is 32 kilometres south of the tip of Cape York itself. And you can see the little green image, the map of Cape York. It's pretty impressive. So the school served the communities of the NPA, the Northern Peninsula area, and the Torres Strait Islands. Now the second image on the right, courtesy of the John Oxley Library, and you can find this on Trove, is the image of the school when it actually first opened. That was just the one building. And so you had the admin just near the stairs and the classrooms just along the corridor. The original building to this day is still there. It actually hasn't been torn down, which is a good thing. It just has added enhancements such as the stairway at this area and the undercovered area has been turned into classrooms. So I was pretty stoked when I actually found this on Trove. So another feature of the school is the emblem badge which was designed by Year 10 student Jimmy Wee in 1973. The em emblem features two culturally significant elements, the carbide or white crane and a map of the tip of Cape York Peninsula. Coming together in friendship, celebrations of many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and the geographic location of Bamiga are all encapsulated in the final image of the carbide flying over the tip. Each edition of the magazine from 1973 to 1991 includes the emblem and the inscription. And you can find this on page two. From my earliest memory of visiting the high school as a young one, I can remember the students wearing the school uniform, which I believe was baby blue, and the emblem was featured just on the left side. And so now I just want to show you some images of the, of the school, the building, uh, from 1974 to 76. As you can see, in 75, they added new buildings. I believe that's when uh, funding came through for them and the population started growing. 
that tree in the middle is actually still there to this day. Um, and it has a reputation for having the known <coughs> student fights that happen under the tree. <laughs> so much of the original building and the classrooms are still there today. And so it's grown over the years. And so just a little insert, you can see the emblem and the crane, the carbide. And the little image just in the back, the little white building, uh, that was the college. And so any students who would be traveling from south or from the islands would actually board at the college and then attend the school. And so I believe now the college has been turned into a TAFE, uh, TAFE building. So in addition to the school opening up in 1973, the school's first ever magazine was published as well. Early contributors included the students themselves, the staff, and the PNC Association, along with community members. And so here I just want to share a few examples of what you can actually find in the first edition. So the top image, Principal Young is paying tribute to the early education pioneers in the Northern Peninsula area, Mr. Adikoya Madidi and Mr. German Tamwai. The bottom image, whilst I was perusing through a second time and actually taking my time to have a look, I came across two of Ujuru's poems and they are featured on page 10. And I believe that Principal Young was trying to encourage some of the students to take up poetry, so why not engage a leading Indigenous poet to do that? And I think that was pretty special to have that published in, this, in a school magazine. So here's it where it all began. The image you see on the screen is the aerial photo of the five communities of the Northern Peninsula <coughs> area, which was taken in 1969. I have never actually come across this image before until I actually discovered that. And I found that while I was working in the maps branch. And so what I did was take a Google snapshot of 2017 with the communities that are highlighted and you can kind of see in the 1969 image that they're all there and the only reason I knew that the 69 image was the five communities is as a child when I'd go hunting and fishing with my dad I would trace the landmarks as we were going out on the boat and I knew Injunu pretty well, so when I saw the landmarks on this image, I thought that was a spectacular find, and then it was just a moment of just tracing back the communities and the other landmarks that I actually knew really well. And so when I shared this on my Facebook feed, it just, it took off like crazy.
And so why did I choose to digitise? Well, it's not every day you find a high school photo of your father in the school magazine hitting in the National Library's collection, <laughs> especially where you work at. <laughs> but yes, I actually came across these images. And for me, I have a personal connection to these magazines. Um, in 2003, I was a school captain. And so 30 years before that, my dad was attending the school. So he was a student. And so it happens that my mum uh, was a student studying through the Remote Area Teachers Education Program, RATEP. And so she was a student. And then as soon as she graduated, she went on to become a teacher. And she's been teaching at Bamiga since. And so I actually have a really strong personal connection to these magazines. But it's also that family and friends back home, my cousins, my relatives, they all have personal connection to these magazines as well. And so this is one of the reasons why I actually chose to have them digitised, so that friends and family can connect wherever they are around Australia. And so could anyone guess which one is my father? <laughs> no? So you see the big uh, afro, scruffy, so the bottom image on the left, that's my dad, George. Here's the third one, just on the front row, uh, to the right, and that's him in year eight. And that's, he's always featured with his two best friends. They're just everywhere together. And the amazing thing is, I've actually never seen a, a photo of my father from school, and so this is the first one that I've actually seen, so it is kind of very special. And so some of the stories that are captured in the early editions are rich in cultural and historical knowledge. Most of the stories you find in the magazines have been told by the students and the elders from the community. So the students would go out and um, interview the elders at the time and capture those stories and they'll come back and put that into the magazine to share with everyone. And so it's because of their work that actually can share this today and share this with everyone. So these are the four examples of the many examples you can actually find. And so the first one is oral history from Ingenu. This story tells how Ingenu actually came to be before the missionaries um, came ashore. And so this story was told by a late elder at the Gordon Pablo he was an elder who would visit us every Friday for a cultural class where he would teach us song, dance, and language. And it so happens that one of the stories that he did tell me growing up was the native companion and the emu. And so in the years that he shared this in that, in that class, I actually didn't know it was about deceit and trickery. The story is actually about two sisters who fight um, but ultimately how they came to be, how the emu actually never learned to fly and how the brogger did learn to fly. And so that's the native companion in the emu. And the other two amazing stories are the history of Bamiga, which goes into great detail, and the coming of the light. I think one thing that also stands out in these magazines is the art themselves. 
and each art and each page in the magazines are created by the students themselves, so it is pretty spectacular. So the first, um, the first image is the cover design finalist for the 1992 carbide issue. And I believe that year, it was year nine student Elton Louis that won the competition. So every year the students would submit their designs. And just before the, the magazine was published, uh, the winning student or the winning design was chosen and then that would be presented to the school. And it is a very beautiful, uh, beautiful design. And these are just some of the other art that you'll find featured in the magazines as well. So the image on the left uh, was done by Wally Wire, and it's just the drawings of um, Side by Island. And it actually has um, in the magazine that he did publish a story with it. Um, and it is an amazing story to read as well. And the image on the, on the uh, right is the Miriam or the Dari. And this is the traditional uh, headdress that is worn in dancing across many of the uh, Torres Strait Island groups. It's a very beautiful illustration. And so there are many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups that make up the student population of Birmingham High, and they come from everywhere, including the five communities on the mainland. Some of the Torres Strait Island, Island family groups that are represented come from Duwan, Mabiog, Danle, Murray, and Saibai. And so with the two, little, two images I've chosen there, the one down on the bottom to the right, if you see the little, uh, the little follow with the feather, that's my baby brother. And this was captured uh, on our 19, so 1992, uh, 1992 NAIDOC week celebration at the school. And so that's the first uh, little image I've actually seen of him. Although that was pretty spectacular, because he told me he'd, he uh, never danced, and so this is proof. <laughs> And so like with any other school books, class photos and group photos are illustrated throughout the magazines, and they are very popular. When I'm sharing these magazines on my Facebook feed with friends and family, I actually use a lot of the class, class photos because it resonates something special, a memory. I know sometimes we all have cringe-worthy moments when we look back on our old school photos, and there have been comments on that. Um, but, the, but the general line is that they're still there, they resonate something really special. And so just only for today's talk, I decided to choose the Year 6 and 7 classroom. I'm just wondering if you can find a familiar face. Familiar face anyway? No? 
that's just me there. Um, second row sitting next to the teacher. And this is the only time I'll include a class photo of me. <laughs> <laughs> if you find any, just let me know where they are. <laughs> and so when I've been sharing these um, images on my Facebook page, I've just had a lot of positive feedback from friends and family back home who really enjoy and reflect on the time that they've had at school. And so I love using these, um, these images. So the sporting houses of Baidam, Baidam, Bawi and Gelam. And so these are the three houses, sporting houses at um, Bamiga. You have Baidam, which is represented as the shark. You have Bawi, which is represented as the sea turtle. And you have Gelam, which is the dugong. And every year during sporting carnivals, they do get very, very competitive. And I remember every year in primary school, we were always beaten by Gellum, and I was in Bowie. And so these images I actually want to share here are, from, are taken from the uh, North of the Jardine Student Handbook. So these are the year nine study of society students with the support of the teacher took time out to go into into the community, uh, collect information, speak to the elders, and at the end of it, they compiled an information guide for tourists. And these are some of the images and the stories that they've captured. So the first image on the left is the remains of the pier or the jetty, which was built during World War II. And this was home to the American and Australian uh, military base. So not a lot of people know that uh, there was a military base up in the Cape. And so the image on the right, the DC-3 wreck site. Uh, this aircraft was actually en route to New Guinea when it had crashed in the early hours of the morning. Uh, in recent years, it's, it's actually been cleared so that uh, any tourists who are travelling through, they can actually stop by and have a look at the site. And it's, it's still there to this day. And since Christianity was introduced into the, in the Torres Strait by the London Missionary Society in the early 1900s, each of the community and the NPA have a church. And so these are some of the early images of uh, the churches in the communities. So you have Cow Creek, which is where I'm from, uh, St. Michael's and All Angels. Uh, it's still there. It's still in its original form. You have the church at Sasius and Francis of Assisi, the St. George Church of England. You have the Uniting Church at New Marpoon and the St. James Church of England in New Magico. The amazing thing is this is the only, only image left. The church was actually burnt down. Mm -hmm. 
And so I could spend all day telling you about the wonderful things that you could actually find in these magazines. But then I'd be, ro I'd be robbing you joy of discovering some of the amazing stories all for yourself. So I will end this here. There have been 23 issues that have been digitized on Trove, so plenty to explore and discover, including any photos of me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> but I will mention one thing. Birmingham State High School Magazine made history by becoming the first uh, school magazines to be featured on Trove. And so this was probably one of the most amazing accomplishments so far, so, um, and they're all there for everyone to access and read and have a look at. So. Thank you. So I've actually got uh, physical copies of the book, of the magazines, just up here if anyone wants to come and have a read. So thank you everyone. Thank you, Yanti. I always, always feel so um, inspired when I hear about the, the Bamaga um, high school magazines. It's not only uh, you know, a reminder of what amazing treasures we have in our collections, it might just seem like a high school magazine to the rest of us, but is actually an incredible documentation of the history and culture and language of a community and of a region and of a people and a whole bunch of families. Um, I'm also always struck by what an amazing benchmark this is set and what is possible when institutions like ours partner with and work collaboratively with uh, First Nations communities and it's really quite inspiring. On that note, um, we have time for a few questions. So if there are any questions, please feel free to raise your hand and ask away. As far as the the images, um, yeah, I think it's it's been the class photos and the uh, the sporty photos. I think it's the images that capture um, the most sort of likes and tags and shares. So I think uh, from one post, I had about thirty likes um, and I had about over fifty tags and shares. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty phenomenal and. Uh, and that's a great thing about um, social media is you have that uh, platform to share this with. Um, but also I'd like to mention that Trove makes that possible as well. So without Trove, I wouldn't be able to actually uh, share this with, with anyone else or with everyone. So, yeah. Yes. Um, I don't want everyone to grind when I ask this question, but when you, you talk and you say um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, what is the difference between them? Um, 
they're not sort of one group or they're from different places or what? No, it's a good question. Um, they are very different groups. I am fortunate to be blessed with both. So I have uh, Aboriginal on my, on my uh, mother's side and Tasha on my father's. Uh, Tasha Islanders are Indigenous, but the main, um, the main association is with the, the islands. And so Aboriginal people are more so to the mainland. But they're two very different groups. Good question. I'm I'm still waiting to discover that as well. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I read there was a link between Aborigines and Indians. The first have I heard of. <laughs> I'd like to read more about that too. <laughs> process of digitization itself um, in the beginning you do ha you have the resource uh, what I did was then liaise with the school to get permission from them to actually have it um, digitized so without permission from the school I wouldn't have been able to have this digitized and put out in the public domain yeah and so it was important to have um, them on board but also the community so I consulted the community through my Facebook page, through friends and family, um, and I did that beforehand, before anything else happened as far as uh, digitising the magazines. Did, did that answer your question? Uh, yes, that's uh, probably how that is. Um, what about um, perhaps with the teaching staff, was there any connection? Uh, yes, I, uh, my mum's a teacher so I was able to contact her and um, it was through her contact I was then able to uh, get in touch with the principal to then kind of share this project with them as far as what I actually wanted to do and what would be involved and so yeah there were some um, teachers involved in that as well. I think with I mean, with all the early magazines, you have non-Indigenous students and teachers there as well. And so this is a connection for them as well, as far as moving away from Bamiga and, you know, having something to look at, something really proud to say that, yeah, I've actually, I've taught at the school and I know people from up there. And the ongoing, any ongoing? Uh, ongoing, yes. Um, we are... I've actually found some uh, additions in the State Library of Queensland, so there is uh, additions that are going to be added into this collection. And as far as the new additions, I'm not too sure what's going to happen after that. I think I'll probably just do a follow-up kind of presentation to have um, all of it there, because I do want to have a complete kind of collection or near complete collection to share with everyone. Yeah. And so then this will actually be um, shared with the school once they come back from holidays. Um, 
and I'm hoping that they will actually be proud of that as well because it is for the library but it's also for the community it's also to connect the library and the communities up north. Nancy, you're a long way from your home community, I think just a little under 4,000 kilometres from Canberra. Have you got any sense of where some of the other people who were associated with that school are now living? Yeah, actually at the conference I uh, met with an auntie who came into the workshop and uh, she, a week before, she was actually talking to Jimmy Wee and he's actually still living, I believe, up north and was sharing um, with me as far as uh, the project and so she's actually going to go back and talk to, to all the families up there about this project as well. So it, there's been amazing connections coming up and people have uh, either sent me a message on Facebook, um, you know, connecting with someone, um, but I'm hoping that more will come of it. I could actually um, <coughs> could ask him to yeah. come up and have a chat. Um, sorry, I'm Alison Bell and I'm in charge of the digitisation program at the National Library. So, and I forgot that they can't hear me online. Hi, I'm Alison Bell and I'm in charge of the digitisation program at the National Library. This project, and we have a small screen for similar projects, is actually carried out on the National Library funding. It's we don't do very much internal digitisation anymore, but we have made the decision that these projects, which are quite strongly transformational and can be managed within appropriation, is what we've been using them for. So um, this project has, and I guess I will finish my question for Andy, which is a sniper, I can fix it, but it's true, is do you think there are other schools and projects out there which would benefit from this approach? I believe, yeah. Um... As far as uh, the, the magazines of, um, from various areas, whichever school, um, they, they capture a lot of amazing, like they have a lot of rich content. And I think that either school, if they continue in to publish and have this, or have their magazines digitised, and they'll be able to share that with their community, their schools, and share that with surrounding communities as well. So I'm hoping from this it will sort of create some more opportunities for other schools to consider doing the same if they want to digitise their collection. Thank you. No more questions? Thank you, everyone. Thank you everyone for coming this afternoon. We really do hope that you've enjoyed um, yourself and enjoyed the, the talk here this afternoon. I encourage you all to visit the library's exhibitions, explore the collections and discover your own stories here. Um, and do pop on to Trove and have a look at the, the magazines and come up the front and have a look at the, the physical items themselves as well. Um, once again, thank you for coming here today and hope that we see you all again soon sometime. Thank you.